0: part 1 chapter 8 of tolstoy on shakespeare this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by guero tolstoy on shakespeare a critical essay on shakespeare by leo tolstoy translated by vladimir chertkov and isabella fivy mayo Part 1, Chapter 8. At the beginning of the last century, when Goethe was dictator of philosophic thought and aesthetic laws, a series of casual circumstances made him praise Shakespeare. The aesthetic critics caught up this praise and took to writing their lengthy, misty, learned articles, and the great European public began to be enchanted with Shakespeare. The critics answering to the popular interest, and endeavoring to compete with one another, wrote new and ever new essays about Shakespeare. The readers and spectators on their side were increasingly confirmed in their admiration, and Shakespeare's fame, like a lump of snow, kept growing and growing, until in our time it has attained that insane worship which obviously has no other foundation than suggestion. Shakespeare finds no rival, not even approximately, either among the old or the new writers. Here are some of the tributes paid to him. Poetic truth is the brightest flower in the crown of Shakespeare's merits. Shakespeare is the greatest moralist of all times. Shakespeare exhibits such many-sidedness and such objectivism that they carry him beyond the limits of time and nationality shakespeare is the greatest genius that has hitherto existed for the creation of tragedy comedy history idol idolistic comedy aesthetic idol for the profoundest presentation or for any casually thrown off passing piece of verse he is the only man he not only wields an unlimited power over our mirth and our tears over all the workings of passion humour thought and observation but he possesses also an infinite region full of the fantasy of fiction of a horrifying and an amusing character he possesses penetration both in the world of fiction and of reality and above this reigns one and the same truthfulness to character and to nature and the same spirit of humanity to shakespeare the epithet of great comes of itself and if one adds that independently of his greatness he has further become the reformer of all literature and moreover has in his works not only expressed the phenomenon of life as it was in his day but also by the genius of thought which floated in the air has prophetically forestalled the direction that the social spirit was going to take in the future of which we see a striking example in hamlet one may without hesitation say that shakespeare was not only a great poet but the greatest of all poets who ever existed and that in the sphere of poetic creation his only worthy rival was that same life which in his works he expressed to such perfection the obvious exaggeration of this estimate proves more conclusively than anything that it is the consequence not of common sense but of suggestion the more trivial the lower the emptier a phenomenon is if only it has become the subject of suggestion the more supernatural and exaggerated is the significance attributed to it the pope is not merely saintly but most saintly and so forth so shakespeare is not merely a good writer but the greatest genius the eternal teacher of mankind suggestion is always a deceit and every deceit is an evil. In truth, the suggestion that Shakespeare's works are great works of genius presenting the height of both aesthetic and ethical perfection has caused and is causing great injury to men. This injury is twofold. First, the fall of the drama and the replacement of this important weapon of progress by an empty and immoral amusement. AND SECONDLY, THE DIRECT DEPRIVATION OF MEN BY PRESENTING TO THEM FALSE MODELS FOR imitation. HUMAN LIFE IS PERFECTED ONLY THROUGH THE DEVELOPMENT OF THE RELIGIOUS CONSCIOUSNESS, THE ONLY ELEMENT WHICH PERMANENTLY UNITES MEN. THE DEVELOPMENT OF THE RELIGIOUS CONSCIOUSNESS OF MEN IS ACCOMPLISHED THROUGH ALL THE SIDES OF MAN'S SPIRITUAL ACTIVITY. ONE DIRECTION OF THIS ACTIVITY IS AN ART. One section of art, perhaps the most influential, is the drama. Therefore, the drama, in order to deserve the importance attributed to it, should serve the development of religious consciousness. Such has the drama always been, and such it was in the Christian world. But upon the appearance of Protestantism in its broader sense, i.e., the appearance of a new understanding of Christianity as of a teaching of life the dramatic art did not find a form corresponding to the new understanding of Christianity, and the men of the Renaissance were carried away by the imitation of classical art. This was most natural, but the tendency was bound to pass, and art had to discover, as indeed it is now beginning to do, its new form corresponding to the change in the understanding of Christianity but the discovery of this new form was arrested by the teaching arising among german writers at the end of the eighteenth and beginning of the nineteenth centuries as to so-called objective art i e art indifferent to good or evil and therein the exaggerated praise of shakespeare's dramas which partly corresponded to the aesthetic teaching of the germans and partly served as material for it if there had not been exaggerated praise of Shakespeare's dramas, presenting them as the most perfect models, the men of the eighteenth and nineteenth centuries would have had to understand that the drama, to have a right to exist and to be a serious thing, must serve, as it always has served and cannot but do otherwise, the development of the religious consciousness. And having understood this, they would have searched for a new form of drama, corresponding to their religious understanding. But when it was decided that the height of perfection was Shakespeare's drama, and that we ought to write as he did, not only without any religious, but even without any moral significance, then all writers of dramas, in imitation of him, began to compose such empty pieces as are those of Goethe, Schiller, Hugo, and in Russia of Pushkin. Or the chronicles of ostrovsky alexis tolstoy and an innumerable number of other more or less celebrated dramatic productions which fill all the theatres and can be prepared wholesale by any one who happens to have the idea or desire to write a play it is only thanks to such a low trivial understanding of the significance of the drama that there appears among us that infinite quantity of dramatic works describing men's actions positions characters and frames of mind not only void of any spiritual substance but often of any human sense let not the reader think that i exclude from this estimate of contemporary drama the theatrical pieces i have myself incidentally written i recognize them as well as all the rest as not having that religious character which must form the foundation of the drama of the future the drama then the most important branch of art has in our time become the trivial and immoral amusement of a trivial and immoral crowd the worst of it is moreover that too dramatic art fallen as low as it is possible to fall is still attributed an elevated significance no longer appropriate to it Dramatists, actors, theatrical managers, and the press, this last publishing in the most serious tone reports of theatres and operas, and the rest, are all perfectly certain that they are doing something very worthy and important. The drama in our time is a great man fallen, who has reached the last degree of his degradation, and at the same time continues to pride himself on his past of which nothing now remains, the public of our time is like those who mercilessly amuse themselves over this man, once so great, and now in the lowest stage of his fall. Such is one of the mischievous effects of the epidemic suggestion about the greatness of Shakespeare. Another deplorable result of this worship is the presentation to men of a false model for imitation. If people wrote of Shakespeare that for his time he was a good writer, THAT HE HAD A FAIRLY GOOD TURN FOR VERSE, WAS AN INTELLIGENT ACTOR, AND GOOD STAGE MANAGER. EVEN WERE THIS APPRECIATION INCORRECT AND SOMEWHAT EXAGGERATED, IF ONLY IT WERE MODERATELY TRUE, PEOPLE OF THE RISING GENERATION MIGHT REMAIN FREE FROM Shakespeare's INFLUENCE. BUT WHEN EVERY YOUNG MAN ENTERING INTO LIFE IN OUR TIME HAS PRESENTED TO HIM AS THE MODEL OF MORAL PERFECTION, NOT THE RELIGIOUS AND MORAL TEACHERS OF MANKIND, but first of all Shakespeare, concerning whom it has been decided and is handed down by learned men from generation to generation as an incontestable truth, that he was the greatest poet, the greatest teacher of life, the young man cannot remain free from this pernicious influence. When he is reading or listening to Shakespeare, the question for him is no longer whether Shakespeare be good or bad, but only in what consists that extraordinary beauty, both aesthetic and ethical, of which he has been assured by learned men whom he respects, and which he himself neither sees nor feels, and constraining himself, and distorting his aesthetic and ethical feeling, he tries to conform to the ruling opinion, he no longer believes in himself, but in what is said by the learned people whom he respects." i have experienced all of this then reading critical examinations of the dramas and extracts from books with explanatory comments he begins to imagine that he feels something of the nature of an artistic impression the longer this continues the more does his aesthetical and ethical feeling become distorted he ceases to distinguish directly and clearly what is artistic from an artificial imitation of art But above all, having assimilated the immoral view of life which penetrates all Shakespeare's writings, he loses the capacity of distinguishing good from evil, and the error of extolling an insignificant, inartistic writer, not only not moral, but directly immoral, executes its destructive work. This is why I think that the sooner people free themselves from the false glorification of Shakespeare, the better it will be first having freed themselves from this deceit men will come to understand that the drama which has no religious element at its foundation is not only not an important and good thing as it is now supposed to be but the most trivial and despicable of things having understood this they will have to search for and work out a new form of modern drama a drama which will serve as the development and confirmation of the highest stage of religious consciousness in men secondly having freed themselves from this hypnotic state men will understand that the trivial and immoral works of shakespeare and his imitators aiming merely at the recreation and amusement of the spectators cannot possibly represent the teaching of life and that while there is no true religious drama The teaching of life should be sought for in other sources. End of chapter eight. Recording by Guerrero.